1: On July 24th, 2011, local police in Richmond, Texas discovered the dismembered and scattered remains of a body at the bottom of a creek right next to Fort Bend. But this wasn't just any creek, of course. No, it was one in which alligators were known to congregate. That said, while it was clear a murder of some kind had occurred here, given the terrible condition of the body, it was hard to clarify what had happened and who the victim had been at first. Eventually, though, once forensic work was carried out, the authorities were able to determine that these remains belonged to Laura Ackerson, a 27-year-old woman from Kinston, North Carolina, who'd been reported missing by her friends 11 days prior. But how had she gotten in this creek and who had gone to the trouble of butchering her body so badly? While no one realized it at that particular moment, there were actually two culprits, Laura's ex-boyfriend Grant Hayes and his then-wife Amanda. And what makes this even more chilling was the fact that Grant was actually the father of Laura's two children. This is Monsters.
2: sun rose over Kinston, North Carolina on July 13th of 2011, Laura Ackerson woke up excited. For once, things were going her way. She's a 27-year-old mother of two little boys, little grand and gentle, and she carried custody of them with this man, Grant Hayes. You'll hear that that morning, Laura got her things and, and started to walk out the door and walked past uh, her refrigerator covered with pictures of her little boys. Little did she know that those little boys would only know their mother for three years. Little did she know that as she walked out that door, that within 24 hours, she would take her last breath. Little did she know that that man, the father of her children, would be the one responsible for her murder and disappearance.
1: Of course, it's always a sad thing whenever a couple goes their separate ways, especially if there are young children involved. That said, while these kinds of situations can often become messy before all is said and done, usually the couple in question are able to come up with some kind of solution which works out not only for each party, but for the kids as well. That was certainly the aim Laura Jean Hackerson had when she split from her longtime boyfriend, Grant Hayes, a few years prior to this as, even if she could no longer stand to be with him, it was important to her that their children had as normal a life as possible. But let's backtrack for a moment before we go any further, because if we want to understand how the emotions between the two could eventually lead to such a chilling crime taking place, we have to first understand the circumstances which caused them to fall in love in the first place. It's been said that love and hate are simply two sides of the same coin, and while the emotions the two had for each other may have taken a darker turn as time went on, at least initially everything was positive. After all, when they first met, she had been a young woman with ambitions of succeeding in the world of marketing. And he had been a musician who appeared to have all the promise in the world. So far away, you take the
0: stand now i take the stars. and if I see you again, well I know you follow me. Well I wanna love you, well I wanna give you all. Well I thought I knew. You. Well, I knew
1: As their relationship blossomed and they fell more deeply in love, they would decide to have a family together. And not long after this decision was made, Laura would give birth to two sons, Grant Jr. and Gentle. As time went on and the traveling schedule which was demanded of Grant as a working musician became too much for Laura to put up with, their relationship would slowly begin to unravel. But then it's understandable that things would flare up at this point because, with her now finding herself at home raising their boys, more often than not alone, it must have been hard for her to give any focus to her own hopes and dreams. Maybe, in hindsight, this is why she started succumbing to depression at this point, with her eventually getting so bad that she would someday struggle to get out of bed. And eventually these issues, combined with another factor we'll get to in a moment, would lead to the two separating with them agreeing to be civil for the sake of the kids and share their duties when it came to parenting going forward. So while it may have been a sad close to their relationship, to an outsider at least, it seemed like the worst was over. After all, both appeared much happier now that they had split. In fact, at this point... Despite still having two young children to raise, Laura was beginning to get things back on track with her career as she and her friend, Siobhan Mathis, were working on starting a restaurant marketing business together. And as far as Grant was concerned, he'd also moved on with his life as by then he'd shacked up with a woman named Amanda, the very woman he'd been cheating on Laura with prior to this. That's right, it wasn't just his inability to be there for his partner at home which had caused their relationship to deteriorate so quickly. And it wasn't just struggling to live life as what was effectively a single mother, which caused her to sink into depression, either. No, as Laura would discover towards the tail end of their time together, Grant had been using his time away from home to do more than just play music. Amanda was someone who had spent the years prior to this trying to get both an acting and singing career off the ground. In fact, it was this shared love of the arts which had initially drawn her to Grant Hayes, as, while both of them were performing at the same club, they'd gotten to talking and quickly realized they had chemistry together. And while initially, she saw in him someone who could be the Sonny to her share, what she didn't realize at the time was that it would actually end up being more of a Sid and Nancy situation. Except that the murdered person who would come at the end of this story would be an entirely innocent third party. But that was still a ways away yet, and, in the moment, she believed Grant to be her Prince Charming. The only thing she didn't realize at the time, of course, was that he was already in a relationship with Laura Ackerson, and that they had two young children together. Eventually, though, he would confess the truth to her, and while it may have been a red flag for other women, Amanda was so in love with Grant by now that she was willing to stick with him regardless. Of course, this was on the condition that he chose to stay with her over the mother of his children, something he eventually agreed to do sometime after, sitting down with Laura and explaining that he wanted to end things. Needless to say, Laura did not take this too well. After the bombshell was dropped, she struggled to come to terms with the fact that it had all been taking place under her nose, and while she did reserve most of the blame over what had happened for her now former lover, she was no fan of Amanda either. But how could she be? After all, this was the woman who had broken up her family and stolen away the father of her children. That said, for as much as she hated Grant's new partner, when it came to the kids, they seemed to get along well with her. As time went on then, much to the chagrin of Laura, Amanda would begin to take on more of a parenting role, acting as a surrogate mother whenever the boys were staying with her and Grant at their home in nearby Raleigh. And as it happened, this would be their home more often than not because, as per the initial custody decision made by the courts, they would have full custody of Grant Jr. and Gentle on weekdays, with Laura only being allowed to see them on weekends. This probably sounds strange on the surface because, in the majority of cases like these, the courts will side with the mother and give her primary custody. The reason that didn't happen in this case was because, at the initial hearing on June 29, 2010, the Lenore County District Court would determine that the father was the more responsible parent in this instance, a decision they had come to after he'd accused Laura of being a substance abuser and someone who had a history of mental instability. Taking these accusations seriously, the court would agree to only grant Laura partial custody, with there being the potential of having this increased should she pass a psychiatric evaluation and prove she was not taking any illicit drugs. As was to be expected then, she was not happy with this result as, while she did admit to struggling with depression, she didn't feel this made her in any way an incapable or unfit mother on top of that laura would deny having any kind of drug problems with her arguing instead that this was simply a way for her partner to try to screw her over by cutting her out of her kids lives but the only thing she could do to prove herself at this point was subject herself to a series of invasive and stress-inducing interviews a difficult thing for anyone to do in the end however she felt it was worth it because after getting the results of her evaluation Laura felt confident that the courts would now see that she was a perfectly capable mother, and as a result of this, give her full access to her children once more. She'd even gone as far as to cover herself against the suggestion that she wasn't in a financially stable enough position to support her kids because, in the intervening time while the assessments were playing out, she'd started two new graphic design businesses, meaning she'd have plenty of money to keep her boys cared for. For all the good she thought this would do her in court, In the end, it did more harm than anything else because, soon after she got her results, news filtered down to Grant and Amanda of what she had planned to do next. Based on what happened after this, we can assume the prospect of getting her kids back scared them to death. Why? Well, because by that point in time, both of them had grown accustomed to having Grant Jr. and Gentle around so much. With them having gotten married only a short time prior to this, it must have felt like a very happy family environment. So in their eyes, having Laura come in and split up the family, even if she was the biological mother and had every right to see her children, was an eventuality they weren't willing to entertain. And there wasn't much they could do about it. If the courts chose to side with Laura, as it looked increasingly like they may do, they wouldn't have any options. That's why the two would begin enacting a plan which would ultimately bring about the downfall of everyone involved. On July 12, 2011, Grant and Amanda would send an unexpected email to Laura asking her if she wanted to come over and see the kids. The reason this was unexpected was because it was midweek, and it was unlike them to give her any extra time with the children if they didn't have to. This came as a surprise to Laura given how tense their relationship had been in recent months. But feeling like maybe they were beginning to soften towards her following the results of her psych evaluation and that this was possibly their way of extending an olive branch, she jumped at the opportunity. What she didn't realize was that this was all actually a plot to lure her down to Raleigh, with the goal being to make sure she never returned home afterwards. The day after Grant sent his invitation to Laura, she got into her car and began making the hour and a half journey over to where they lived. Before she set off, though, she sent a text message to Grant at 4.12 p.m. which read, I'm leaving the Wilson area now. I'll call when I get past traffic. Where will you be in an hour or so? Upon receiving no response to her text, she pulled over at the Crabtree Valley Mall once in Raleigh at 4.59 p.m., at this point attempting to call her ex-boyfriend. What happened next is unclear. But what we do know is that after that, there would be no further records of any calls or texts being made from Laura's phone. On top of that, when her business partner, Siobhan Mathis, tried to call her to discuss a work issue later that evening, Laura didn't answer the phone, despite the fact that they had already scheduled to talk ahead of time. At first, she wasn't too concerned about it. After all, there was no need for her to be. Laura had explained she was going to see her kids and, as far as Siobhan knew, she'd just gotten caught up with some family issues while she was there. As the days went on, however, and there continued to be no word from her, Siobhan would begin to grow worried, and on July 18th, Siobhan went to the police and reported Laura missing. In most cases, a missing person would represent a major headache for the authorities. But in this situation, they knew exactly where Laura was supposed to be and assumed that something had gone wrong with her phone and that for some reason or another she'd been unable to contact her business partner. Authorities decided to go to her home and do a welfare check of her. They certainly had no reason to believe she was in any danger at this point. She had been with her family, and while records would show there had been a lot of tension there in recent months, there was nothing to suggest her life was at risk. Unfortunately though, when they got to her house in Kinston, they found no evidence at all to suggest she had returned there after leaving for Raleigh on the 13th, and the reason they felt so sure of this was because her plants were dying as a result of not having been watered for days. Outside of that, The apartment was reported as being clean and tidy, with there being no signs that anyone had forced entry or that any struggle had occurred. In fact, there was no evidence to suggest that any incident had taken place at all in the apartment. Nearby surveillance cameras showed her driving past at 8am on the morning of the 13th, but never showed her return. The next place they needed to look was at Grant Hayes' home in Raleigh. Before they did that, though, investigators would call him up to see if he knew where Laura was. If he could give them a reasonable answer at this point, it would save them the long trip. Unfortunately, Grant would claim to have no knowledge of his ex-partner's current whereabouts at this point, with him instead claiming they were supposed to meet for their regular Friday custody exchange at 5pm on July 15th, just outside of a Sheet's gas station in Raleigh. Apparently, she had never turned up for this meeting, though, something which Grant had put down to her increasing mental instability at the time. So after waiting at the gas station with his children for a while and seeing no sign of her, he left, a fact which was backed up by CCTV footage obtained from the gas station. If the police still weren't convinced he was being truthful, he'd also offered to send them copies of emails he'd sent to Laura in the days following this, emails which expressed his frustration that she hadn't shown up. While this may have gotten the authorities off his direct scent for the immediate future, it still didn't take away their growing concerns that Laura had gotten herself into some kind of trouble. Over the next few days, they would work hard to chase down any new leads they could as the situation turned into more and more of a priority, and it was while doing so that crucial new information would come to light. Upon speaking to Laura's business partner, Shavon again, new details about her relationship with her ex and his new wife would begin to emerge. As it was explained to them, Laura had previously accused Grant of being a very narcissistic and controlling person during their time together. Someone who, while he might have appeared like a nice guy to most people in public, actually had a far darker side to him underneath the surface. On top of that, Amanda also had a number of arguments with Laura over how the situation with the children would be resolved. In fact, in emails which the police were able to obtain from the missing woman's computer soon after, a bitter divide between the two would show itself, with the main point of contention apparently being that Laura felt Amanda was acting very disrespectful towards her by badmouthing her in front of the children when she wasn't there. In these emails, Amanda would deny such claims, with her telling Laura at the time that she was being paranoid and that she had the utmost respect for her as a mother this new information was enough for police to take another look at the haze as it now seemed like there was a possibility they knew more than what they were letting on.
2: Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At US Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbpgovernor careers.
1: As they dug deeper into the situation, more evidence would come up which created cause for concern, with the most immediate of the details discovered being the fact that, with the court date coming up to determine how the custody of the children was going to go in the future, Laura had reportedly noticed Grant and Amanda acting different towards her, almost as if they were planning something. After learning this, the authorities would contact Grant again, suggesting at this point they come up to see him at his house to ask a few more questions. And perhaps realizing that he was now on their radar, Grant would begin to panic, something which caused him to make the stupid move of rejecting this suggestion outright, with him instead saying he didn't want the police entering his house at all. Of course, it's everybody's right to deny their home being searched without a warrant, but all this would do was raise suspicions even further. Knowing they definitely needed to get into his house, the sheriff's office would obtain a warrant to search it on July 20th. Once investigators got there, they would immediately get a sinking feeling in their stomach because upon entering the property, they noticed a strong smell of bleach emanating from somewhere. When they explored the place further, they noticed several spots on the floor which appeared to be bleach-stained, one of which really stood out to them, suggesting something had recently been cleaned up there. On top of that, there was also bleach used to clean out the bathtub recently, with it being described as so clean it was as if it was brand new. But that wasn't all, because upon inspecting the bathroom in more detail, investigators noticed the shower curtain was missing. And while this could have been ignored if it was the only item not there, they were also able to ascertain that other suspicious items, such as the vacuum and several rugs, had also disappeared. Then, as if it wasn't enough, handwritten lyrics to the song "Man Killer," which had been jotted down by either Grant or Amanda, would be found in the living room, with these lyrics concerning the first person killing of a woman by means of strangulation. It wasn't looking good for Grant and Amanda, and as the search continued from there, two more clues to Laura's whereabouts would be uncovered. The first of which was another handwritten note, with what appeared to be a signed agreement between Grant and Laura. According to this note, it looked as though Grant had offered to give Laura $25,000 in exchange for full custody of their children, and with the date on it reading July 13th, it suggested she had indeed been there that day. Later on, once the full horror of what had happened was revealed, authorities would compare the supposed signature of Laura Ackerson on this note with other examples of her handwriting, and while it would be confirmed to be genuine at this point, The idea that she was willing to give up her children for any amount of money seemed so wildly out of character for her, it seemed highly likely she signed this while under some kind of duress. But while this at least seemed to prove the Hayes were lying when it came to their claims about Laura never having been there, it was the second clue which really set their stomachs churning, because after that, they found an instruction manual for a reciprocating saw inside of a drawer, with this saw being one that would be able to carve through bone if necessary. Needless to say, the Hayes became prime suspects in the disappearance of Laura Ackerson. But still, even with all investigators had found, there wasn't enough evidence to arrest the two. Instead, with the main worry being that they'd try to flee if they realized they were persons of interest, Grant and Amanda would be put on secret surveillance, all while the authorities continued to try to find the remaining evidence they needed to arrest them. This search would see them travel to a Walmart three miles away from the Grant's home, a Walmart which was known to sell that particular type of reciprocating saw. When they got there, a quick check of the store's surveillance footage would prove that it had indeed been Grant who purchased it, and that he had done so at around 2.30 on July 14th, about 24 hours after Laura had last been heard from. But that wasn't all he had been doing that afternoon, because once he was done at Walmart, he traveled to a nearby Target where he bought plastic sheeting, a tarp, gloves, bleach, tape, and a lint roller. And if that wasn't enough to raise attention, that wasn't the only trip to Walmart Grant had made during that period as it turned out because inspection of further surveillance tapes would lead to the realization that he'd returned two days later on the 16th, this time to buy a number of bags of ice and a large cooler. With things now starting to look pretty grim, a deeper investigation would ensue, and over the next few days, after interviewing Amanda's biological daughter, Shaw, it would be revealed that, on the afternoon of the 14th, Amanda had been suspiciously anxious to get the kids out of the house and had insisted her daughter take them to a play center for a few hours. After that... Further records would show that, as this was taking place, Grant had contacted U-Haul to inquire about a trailer so he could drive it over to Fort Bend, Texas, claiming that he and Amanda had planned to go visit her sister, Karen. As for how Grant explained all the coolers he had when they picked up the trailer, well, these were filled with bait as he was planning on doing some fishing while he was away. Of course, as we know now, These coolers did indeed contain something formerly living, though it wasn't fishing bait. It was the cut-up remains of Laura Ackerson. Those coolers would be stored away right in the back of the truck when it departed from Raleigh on the 18th. It wouldn't just be Grant and Amanda who were along for the ride at this point, as, seemingly against all logic and reason, they decided to take the kids with them as they went about their task of disposing of the children's mother. While the cops hadn't put this part of the story together yet, they were by now pretty sure that the Hayes had some involvement in the disappearing of their missing person. And at this point, they traveled to Texas themselves where they hoped to find out what had happened after the couple arrived there. While on their way to Fort Bend, they stopped over at a Home Depot in Houston where they were informed that, upon their arrival on the 19th, records showed Amanda had been in the store and had used the opportunity to purchase acid and even more gloves. But that still wasn't the smoking gun they needed. No, this would come when they traveled to the home of Amanda's sister, Karen, in Fort Bend soon thereafter, with them questioning her about whether she had any information which could help them solve the case. And as it happened, she did. In fact, the information she would give the police would finally help them put it all together. She told investigators that Grant and Amanda had arrived at her home on the evening of the 19th, asking her if they could borrow her boat as they needed it for an emergency situation. Karen lived right next to Oyster Creek, the very same creek that Laura Ackerson's body would eventually be found in, and as a keen fishing enthusiast, she had her own boat she would often take out onto the water, something her sister was all too aware of. Of course, that wasn't all they had spoken to her about at this point though, because despite Karen initially being hesitant to discuss the matter any further, she would eventually crack once she learned that police had obtained surveillance footage from the area which showed Amanda dumping bottles of acid out onto the street near her home. After asking the police to join her in a prayer for the lost, she finally told them what really happened. She said that upon arrival, her sister had informed her she needed her help as she'd hurt Laura in a fight. While Amanda hadn't confirmed that she had killed her at this point, her sibling was quickly able to put two and two together once she asked if the alligators that lived on the creek were capable of eating a human body. Now, with the fog clearing and everything falling into place, the authorities would begin the process of searching the water for any sign of Laura Ackerson this would not be an easy task and it certainly wouldn't be quick it wasn't until july 24th that after spending the prior few days scouring the depths of oyster creek a dive team would discover a number of body parts with these including a human torso which had been cut in half and a badly damaged skull given the poor condition these body parts were in it was very difficult for examiners to say what the exact cause of death had been other than it likely involved either asphyxia or blunt force trauma to the neck. Even if this was disappointing, they were at least able to determine that the acid had been used at this point because, upon further inspection of the skull, it was determined that something had been poured into it which had caused it to decompose and corrode faster than the rest of the body. Even with that being done, it didn't mean identifying the corpse was impossible, and the reason for that was the teeth still largely being in place. The medical examiner was able to use dental records to confirm that these were indeed the remains of Laura Ackerson. With it now being clear a brutal murder had taken place and that the culprits were still on the loose and in possession of two young children, something had to be done and done quickly. A SWAT team was sent to the Hayes home on July 25th and authorities were able to apprehend the couple. Clearly knowing the jig was up at this point, Both Grant and Amanda went along with them willingly, even if they refused to say anything until they had their lawyers present. Once the lawyers were there, though, and the couple could be questioned properly, the full details of what had occurred just over a week prior would surface. They went on to admit that on July 13th, Laura had arrived at the Hayes household as planned, and there she started a discussion with Grant about future custody of her children. The way she saw it at this point, at least according to Grant and Amanda, was that she was clearly a fit mother and they had been carrying out an active campaign to discredit her. It was not going to look good for them when it came to the final custody hearings which were coming up soon. Realizing they were potentially about to lose access to their children, they made a last ditch attempt to come out victorious in the situation by offering her $25,000 to walk away and leave the boys with them. Needless to say, this led to an argument between Grant and Laura, and it was while the argument was going on that things got a little too heated, and she ended up dead. After that, with the fog clearing and Grant coming to realize what he'd done, he made sure his kids were out of the way while he called his wife over to explain the situation. Once they'd taken a few minutes to decide what they should do next, both made a pact to cut up her body and get rid of it as quietly as possible. While Grant was out picking up the necessary tools for the task, Amanda got the kids out of the house for the afternoon, and when her husband returned soon after, they immediately got to work on cutting up Laura's body into chunks with a power tool, with them then placing those chunks inside many coolers he had also purchased. After that, Amanda would suggest they go over to her sister's in Texas as she lived right next to a creek where alligators were known to roam. If they did that, she reasoned they would be able to dump the pieces of the body in the water and let the animals take care of the rest. Before this happened, though, they would first have to make sure their apartment was clean. They spent the next few hours going through the place with a fine-tooth comb, making sure there were no signs of the murder and that any bloodstains which had been left behind were bleached away. Of course, the amount of bleach which was required to do so would leave quite a smell behind and as it happened, this would inadvertently end up being one of the things that got them caught. At the time, however, they had no way of knowing this would be the end result. All they cared about was making sure the body of Laura Ackerson and any prior sign of her was gone from their residence. Once the cleaning was done and she was safely stored away inside the coolers, they pulled down the blood-stained shower curtain and removed any rugs that were also affected. After that, the Hays would pick up their children from their half-sisters and tell them they were going on a road trip to Texas to visit their aunt for a few days. The idea of a road trip was exciting to both Grant Jr. and Gentle, so they went along with it happily, having absolutely no idea that the remains of their mother were festering away in the back of the truck. While the children were blissfully ignorant of this, Grant and Amanda still had one more stop to make before they made it to their destination. That was because, after realizing they needed some more supplies, namely additional gloves and acid, they'd stopped off at a Home Depot in Houston while en route to her sister's. Once that was done, they were all set to make the final leg of the journey to Fort Bend, where, after explaining what they needed help with, Amanda's sister would let them in and allow them to use her boat. If she had known exactly what they were doing, she may have responded differently, But then again, maybe not, because as we've already established, she was quickly able to put two and two together, and figure out that something pretty terrible had taken place. Perhaps feeling like she had little other option at this point, she agreed to watch the kids while Grant and Amanda went about finishing their dastardly task by first trying to dissolve Laura's remains in acid as best they could. Once it became clear that this method wasn't working as fast as they needed it to, they moved on to plan B, which was to use the boat to dump the remains into the water, leaving them as what they would hoped would be dinner for the gators. Except the gators wouldn't end up eating her remains, at least not completely. And this, combined with the other evidence which had been found at their home in Raleigh, would be enough to bring the killer duo to justice before long. The road towards justice would begin immediately after their arrest, because, with the authorities feeling like they had a pretty open and shut case, they would quickly get to work bringing the whole thing to trial. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky?
1: Their trials eventually took place almost exactly two years later in July of 2013. Grant and Amanda's lawyers would ask that they be tried separately, and the judge agreed. As time went on, though, it became more and more apparent as to why they wanted that. Each of them was looking to blame the other in hopes it would get them off from serving any punishment. When it came down to it, Grant and Amanda would prove to be cowards, not only for daring to commit the crime they did, but also for stabbing each other in the back after the fact. In Grant's case, he seemed only too happy to plead not guilty to the murder of his former partner, with him at this point placing the blame squarely on his wife. Grant explained this during an interview after he was convicted.
0: Laura jumped Amanda as she was walking away from the table with the contract. Now... I was not in the room, but Amanda tells me that she had made a threat to take her child away from her, and the next thing she knew, Laura had her by the hair and was dragging her back to her and reaching over her shoulder. Amanda said that she backed into her, and as a reflex, she elbowed her with her elbow as hard as she could, and she caught her in the neck. Laura let her go, and Amanda says that she ran into the nursery and slammed the door, and this is almost on her heels. I come running in the room because I heard Laura fall. Uh, when I come into the living room, my oldest son, Grant, who was on the couch during all this conversation, uh, is standing up now looking over the couch at his mother on the floor. Amanda has locked herself in the nursery and she's screaming, uh, call the police, I want her arrested, why did you leave her alone with me? Why did you leave the room? And, you know, I'm smacking Laura on the face trying to get her up off the floor. About, um, uh, this happened very, very quickly. Um, I was smacking her face, and within a minute, uh, well, I went to set her up, and that's when her, she died, um, for la- uh, I'm not trying to be too descriptive about how I'm certain that she died, but, uh, it might be a bit degrading, um, but I'm certain that she died at that point when I went to set her up, and, um, my son, Grant, was standing not two feet in front of me, and, uh... It wasn't I wasn't out of the room a minute. When I came back into the room, I wouldn't even say it was a minute before uh Laura died right there in front of me and my son.
1: According to him, Laura attacked Amanda and Amanda struck her in the neck. After that, Laura died, but he wouldn't say that Laura's death was necessarily caused by that blow. Then, instead of calling 911, he panicked, a response that seems to be common with murderers. Then, he helped her dispose of the body. His defense wouldn't hold any water in the long run because during his trial, the prosecution would end up calling a witness who had shared a cell with him when he had first been locked up inside of a detention center two years prior. This witness, Pablo Trinidad, would go on to claim that, while they were alone one night, Grant had confessed to the fact that it had indeed been him and Amanda who were responsible for the murder in equal measure, and that while the actual killing had been carried out by his wife, he had been very active in the decision to do it and had helped cut up the body afterwards. Of course, given how much evidence the state already had implicating Grant in the crime at this point it wasn't like many on the jury would have been willing to give any real consideration to his defense anyway. With this smoking gun now in place, it made it all the easier for him to be found guilty of first-degree murder soon after, with him being sentenced to spend life in prison without the possibility of parole. And when it came to Amanda Hayes, she wouldn't fare much better because, despite her claim she had nothing to do with the killing, and that she had no idea that it had taken place until Grant told her about it, Ultimately, she would end up going down too. As had happened at her husband's trial, Amanda's fate would be sealed by another when her own sister Karen testified that she had admitted to being the one who killed Laura during an argument. Of course, still trying to protect herself in any way that she could at this point, Amanda would argue that her sister was lying about this and that she had not been the one to do the actual killing. While she would admit to being involved in the disposal of the body after the fact, she claimed that she only went along with it because she was scared of what Grant might do to her if she didn't.
2: Isn't it true that when you were out in the boat, that you were taking Laura Ackerson's remains? Ma'am, I over never
3: them saw, them. saw anything.
2: Wait, wait till the end of my question, please, ma'am. Isn't it true that you were taking Laura Ackerson's remains, which included her torso, and her head, and parts of her leg, and throwing them over the side of the boat?
3: Again, I never saw anything that was going on behind me.
2: You indicated that you were in the back of the boat, but you couldn't see what was going on behind you?
3: I was facing toward the water. That's correct.
2: Well, what could you hear? What could you smell?
3: I was listening. I heard the animals, and honestly, I didn't smell anything.
2: You didn't smell anything? No, ma'am. Do you recall um, making a statement on a prior occasion that you were um, it smelled so bad that it was making your stomach royal. No, ma'am, I don't recall that.
1: She was in a rowboat with Grant, but had no idea he was throwing body parts into the creek. She also claimed that she had no idea that Laura was even dead until they arrived in Texas, where she asked her nephew what animals would eat human remains.
2: Okay, so let me get this straight. You had just found out, according to your testimony... Yes, ma'am. ...that Laura Ackerson was with you there in Texas and that you needed to dispose of her body?
3: Yes, ma'am, that's correct.
2: And your response to that was to wait until your nephew got there and ask him if wild pigs ate human remains? If alligators ate human remains? What did he tell you? Did he tell you whether or not wild pigs would eat human remains? He's,
3: yes, ma'am, he did say that um, pigs would eat anything. Yes, ma'am, he did.
2: Did he tell you that alligators would eat human remains?
3: Um, he's- I don't really recall what he said about the alligators, honestly. I know that my sister had told me before that, um, that they did go alligator, alligator hunting, and, and I don't really recall, but she said that um, they had gone over in that area.
1: That's not why she went to visit her sister, sure. She went on to describe that her husband was a sociopath and a danger to everyone around him, with him having managed to manipulate her into taking part in the crime. And in her defense, there was certainly plenty of evidence to suggest that Grant was indeed a sociopath, as he appeared to show little empathy for his ex-girlfriend, or any remorse when it came to reminiscing over her death. Instead, it seemed like, in classic narcissist fashion, he was only ever really able to care about himself and if getting what he wanted meant killing the mother of his children, then so be it as far as he was concerned. Even with this likely being the case, the jury was hesitant to believe the idea that Amanda had been an unwilling party to the whole situation, especially since she had expressed a dislike of Laura many times in the past, with her being very vocal about her desire to have her out of the picture. With that in mind, soon after Grant was convicted, Amanda was as well, with her conviction being the slightly lesser crime of second-degree murder. But while this would lead her to getting hit with a 13- to 16-year prison sentence, some still took it as her getting off lightly in comparison to Grant. But there was a reason why Grant was convicted of first-degree murder, while Amanda was convicted of second-degree murder. As defined by U.S. law, first-degree murder is, quote, an intentional killing that is willful and premeditated with malice aforethought. Second-degree murder, on the other hand, is defined as being, quote, an intentional killing that is not premeditated or planned. A situation in which the killer intends only to inflict serious bodily harm, knowing this could result in death but with no specific intent to kill, also constitutes second-degree murder. With it being decided that Grant had more than enough motive to plan the murder ahead of time, given there was a possibility he was going to lose access to his children, it's easy to see why his actions were considered premeditated. After all, it had been him who had asked Laura to go up to see him earlier that week, and him who had spoken to her when she first arrived. In the case of Amanda, though, the court could not find enough evidence to suggest she was directly involved on the planning of the crime ahead of time, despite the fact that she was known to be jealous of Laura in the past. Still, it was clear based on the evidence which had been provided that she had taken part in the killing once it got to that point and that her involvement in the whole scheme was done of her own free will. Video surveillance had captured her just after she and Grant had dumped Laura's body into the creek, outside of her sister's home and away from her husband. While she was briefly alone, she was emptying bottles of acid out onto the ground so as to get rid of the evidence, something which the court took as proof she wasn't acting under duress at the time. Of course, this piece of evidence was just the icing on the cake as pretty much everything else that had come to light during the trial also implicated she was more than a willing participant in the whole thing. Grant Jr. and Gentle were her family too as far as she was concerned, and the idea of losing them hit her just as hard as it did her father. With this in mind, her punishment, while lesser than her husband's, would still be considered fitting for her role in the death. While Grant Hayes was sent over to Caledonia Correctional Institute in Halifax County, North Carolina to serve out his sentence, the woes of Amanda would only just be beginning. That's because in 2018, she was indicted again by the Texas Grand Jury on the charges of illegally disposing of a body, something which was considered to be evidence tampering in the state of Texas. And the end result of all this would be that a further 20 years was added to her sentence, with her now being forced to serve both simultaneously in Anson Correctional Institute for Women in Polkton, North Carolina. For anyone at the time who was worrying she was getting off lightly, they needn't have done so. Not long after the trials, Grant and Amanda Hayes would file for divorce, ending their bloody union once and for all. Given how quickly they had turned on one another after they were caught, maybe this was never a relationship which was destined to go on for the long haul no the far more likely reality here is that these were simply two incredibly damaged and dangerous people who got caught up in each other's orbits and ended up destroying everything around them including themselves in the process while much of the focus has been placed on them in the years since it would never be forgotten that the main victim of the whole situation was laura Ackerson. A woman who still had her whole life ahead of her when she died and, had she been able to see all the different ventures she had going on through to completion, would have likely been very successful. Unfortunately, though, with her flame being snuffed out one afternoon in July of 2011, we'll never get to see what she might have been able to achieve. Even worse, her kids will now have to grow up without their mother, someone who, had she still been around surely would have been only too happy to help guide them through the most difficult parts of their lives. But while we're sure they're doing the best they can all these years later, we can't say that for certain because, understandably, given the fact that they were minors at the time, their circumstances following the trial haven't been made public. What we do know, though, is that they've had no further contact with either Grant or Amanda, and that there's no suggestion they have any intention of doing so again in the future. So in a way, perhaps this is the ultimate punishment for the killers, because, while nothing can ever bring back the woman they murdered, there is at least some satisfaction to be taken from the knowledge that they ended up getting precisely the opposite of what they wanted. For a couple who seemingly committed the crime they did so as to ensure they would be able to keep custody of their children forever, the end result has been that they likely will never speak to them again. On top of that, with the whole thing ultimately seeing them stab each other in the backs, This means they have no one left that they can turn to in the entire world. With Grant having no family we know of, and Amanda's sister and daughter both also rejecting her too, there's no one else that can offer them comfort. The consequences of what they did have rippled out to everyone who ever knew Laura Ackerson, and with her being so loved during her lifetime, this has meant that, in the long run, far more lives have been irreparably damaged by Grant and Amanda Hayes than even they probably realize, because that's just the nature of a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter, or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?